Well, 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 welcome to the mayhem Dick and Lloyd mayhem Media mayhem Market in a mayhem You might love it, you might hate it It's my favorite freaking show Come on in. We found another Kansas City great personality to delve into. Lawyer Art Fillmore is well known for his veteran advocacy. Matter of fact, he got the local Vietnam Veterans Memorial off the ground. Plus, his high-profile work with entrepreneurs. We've got a lively chat about Evil Knievel, Del Dunmire, Mother Teresa, Vietnam, the old Plaza Athletic Club, and the 13th President Millard Fillmore. And it's all starting now. Hey Dick, we're with Art Fillmore, a well-known local attorney, an advocate for veterans, a, an entrepreneur, and we're down at the Livestock Exchange in this cool office. How are you, Art? I'm doing great, thank you. Hello, Art, and thank you for listening to the years on the radio. Oh, Dick, I've been a big fan of your show forever. Well, that's good, really, that's good. Uh, really forever. That. I'm a because I'm a '60s rock guy myself. Oh, are you? Okay, good. I, I played mm-hmm. a rock band in college. Oh, so, what so was you, the name of the band? Lael and the Layman, and the reason it was named Lael and the Layman is we had a female drummer went to Mizzou, but yeah. a female drummer from Stevens College named Lael Nesbeth. Oh, so we were very cleverly Lael and the Layman. That is cool. <laughs> wow, I, I like that. that. Never yeah. heard of that before. Yeah, mine was Cougar and Dark's Pandemonium Shadow Show. Wow, so, you that know, sounds like some kind of an acid trip or something. Everybody had their own band names. Isn't that something? Well, well, what did I, you play? I played bass and rhythm guitar and, and yeah. uh, sang some. And we had a uh, lead guitar player from Memphis, a, uh, an organ player from uh, Massachusetts, uh, a drummer from Illinois, and a singer from New York who wound up being David Rockefeller's right-hand man. Uh, he uh, worked for Chase Manhattan Bank, has written tons of books on economics, and uh, his name is uh, uh, Fraser Seitel, and uh, he was also our booking agent. Okay. Problem was he couldn't sing. <laughs> so oh. after a year, after a year, we had to get rid of him and replace him, but he was a great booking agent. So. <laughs> Dick, does that give you an idea of where this interview is going to go? Today? I think so, yeah, I believe so, yes. <laughs> And uh, so it was, a, it was a fun group. I'm almost afraid to ask, how did that group of people come together, Art? Well, three of us were uh, fraternity brothers, SAEs, four of us actually. And then we, I forgot how we met Lael, to tell you the truth. Uh, but she and I still stay in contact through Facebook. And, really? Yeah. Uh, she What's was, her band called now? She's not, uh, oh, this is a terrible story, but Stevens at the time was a two-year college. <laughs> And so she played in the band for two years and went to her two years at Stevens and then moved back to Columbia for the third year just to be part of the band and do whatever she could do. We had forgotten to tell her that the lead guitar player and I had sold our equipment and, our, and our, uh, both our guitars and our speakers to, to hitchhike around Europe that summer, so the band was no longer in existence, and Lael came back to no band at all. Oh, so, oh my! Wow! <laughs> Surprised she even speaks to you. Yipes! Yeah, well, it took a while to reconcile it. <laughs> so this was uh, so Art. Um, you know, Dick. This this seems to be the case that everybody we've been speaking with lately has had what might be 
termed as a, a bizarre career path. And I think that art is, is a prime example of at least an unplanned career path. Okay. Because his, at least as far as this conversation, where can we start this art? I mean, a little thing came up uh, right after college for you, or was that, uh, what, what were they doing? It was Vietnam. Yeah. I, what uh, what I, happened? How did, I this, how did I you get started down that? I was enrolled in uh, my senior year in college to go to the University of Michigan Law School. And that's, that spring, LBJ declared he wasn't going to run for re-election, so the first thing he did was to get rid of deferments for, for our graduate students. Mm. And uh, I'm from Kirkwood, St. Louis, which had a heavily college-based draft board population. So three days after I graduated from Mizzou, I got my 1A classification, meaning I was going to be drafted. So I decided to enlist so I could, quote, control my destiny. Mm -hmm. Boy, was that stupid. Oh, <laughs> so, oh, oh. <laughs> control my destiny, not in the least. So I enlisted in the Army, um, went to basic training at Fort Leonard Wood, uh, went to advanced uh, individual training and officer candidate school at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, got my commission in artillery and was sent to Vietnam where I served uh, a year as a forward observer for the 25th Division Company, uh, Special Forces and Navy Riverines. And uh, after that I went to Germany where I was the commander of a nuclear missile unit for two years. And by the time I completed my uh, tour of four years in the Army, colleges were only required to hold your place for two years and Michigan had a ton of people coming back from the service or, for, or residents who wanted to go. So um, I went ahead and I was tired of being away from home. So I came back and went to Mizzou and got my law degree. But uh, my tour in Vietnam was interesting. <laughs> I want to go back here for just a moment. Um, forward observer. Sounds like a scary job for uh, the artillery unit. Aren't you out there in front? Yes. Looking for targets? Yeah, I was. Uh, my job was to call in. Uh, airstrikes, helicopter gunships, and artillery during firefights. So I did that for the Charlie Company, the 1st Wolfhounds, the 25th Infantry Division, yeah. a unit of the Special Forces 5th uh, Group uh, stationed on the Cambodian border, and Navy Riverines, who were the Brown River. You know the movie Apocalypse Now? Mm -hmm. The boat that went up the river, that was called a patrol boat Riverine. The guys in it were called Riverines, and that's the people I'd go out with and call in fire for. Okay, yeah. That was a real tough job. I'll bet. I rotated wow. through Ooh. there uh, every three weeks, and they had about a 50% turnover. Because yeah. they, they had a lot of firepower. They had a 50-caliber 50, 50 machine, machine gun, an M60, and something called a honeycomb, which launched a lot of grenades. So if they got off the first shot, first shot they won. If they didn't, they lost, Ooh. because they were actually fiberglass boats that were reinforced with steel, but RPGs, rocket-propelled pro, rocket grenades, went through them like a knife through butter. Yeah, yeah, so, wow. so. yeah. Well, thanks well, for doing that Yes, for us. we owe you wow. a great debt of gratitude for that. Yeah, I appreciate Man. that. And then you went on from there and really set up a, a big salute to veterans that have uh, done all these things for us. You know, it's really interesting how that came about. Uh, I, I suffered from PTSD when I came back from Vietnam mm -hmm. because uh, I got sent back out into combat my last week when you're supposed to go back 
and decompress. Well, I went directly from being sent back out and, and being in combat to get on a plane and going home. So um, when I got back to St. Louis, I was out of combat for less than 36 hours. And uh, two days later, I went to Mizzou to a football game. And uh, when they fired off a cannon when Mizzou scored, I jumped down in my seat down below. And my, I was with my college fraternity brothers that I thought were my best friends. And they kind of went, oh, what's wrong with you, man? And I said, well, you know, just it's a reaction. I didn't like people being behind me. Mm-hmm. I didn't like not having a weapon. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the noise. I mean, there was nothing about that stadium that was comfortable to me. But that night, I went to a party where everybody, it was, you know, it was 1970, people were getting high and being profoundly philosophical. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and my former best friend said to me, so Art, did you uh, kill any women and children in Vietnam? And I said, well, I said, there were women and children killed in firefights I was involved in. I said, but certainly wasn't my aim. He said, well, I wouldn't have done that. I said, oh, really? He goes, yeah, I would never have done anything that could take a life of a woman or child. And I said, well, you know, Jim, I said, when somebody's shooting at you, you either take them out or you go home in a body bag. And I said, it's not, it's not a uh, cerebral decision, it's an instinct. And uh, you don't know what you would have done unless you were there. So, yeah. And I thought, okay, well, I'm never talking about that war again. And I literally went 15 years without talking to even my wife about what I'd been through. Mm-hmm. So when you suppress the memories like that, you get the nightmares because you're reliving it all the time. And they're, they're strange nightmares. I mean, how complicated your mind is. I had one nightmare where there's this vision of this ghost, almost like Ghost Rider, if you remember that from a long time mm-hmm. ago. Right holding a big scroll, like a movie script, and it was rolling like a movie script. And on the name of that script were friends of mine who, in my unit who had been killed alphabetically. How does your mind do that? Wow. How does your mind do that? You know, and so, uh, so I suffered from PTSD because of it. And in 1985, there was a, another lawyer in Kansas City named Chuck Patterson who asked me to, he said, you know, what would you think about building a memorial? I said, Chuck, nobody's going to want to give any money to it. Everybody still hates the war. He said, well, let's give it a try. So we built the Kansas City Vietnam Veterans Memorial. I began to talk to other veterans for the first time and realized that there were people out there I could talk to because they had shared my experience. And uh, because of my experience, Chuck moved to L.A., I became chairman, still am chairman, of the memorial, and it got vandalized in uh, March 31st of 1986 by uh, a misguided soul and he put a swastika on the uh, Purple Heart. He drew, he said, get out of Latin America. He, he totally misunderstood that wall was about the warriors, not about the wall. Mm-hmm. Or the war. mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, so uh, we had this huge outpouring of love from the city for the first time that these Vietnam vets had people saying thank you and we who were standing there on the corner with hats, people were dropping cash in there. And one of the people that came by was Del Dunmeyer. And he said, what's all this about? And they told him, he said, who's in charge of this thing? And they told him I was. So Del Dunmeyer called me. He said, uh, my name's Del Dunmeyer. I'm from Growth Industries, and I want to finish the memorial. Well, I thought, Growth Industries, he must be a contractor. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, I appreciate that. But I said, we, we have a contractor who's been Vince Dasta, who's been very good to us, he's built it when we didn't have any money. 
And he said, well, I want to I want to finish it. I, I don't mean build it. I want to pay for it. I said, well, now you've got my attention. <laughs> so yeah. that afternoon, yeah. he and his lawyer and CPA showed up in my office and showed me his financial statement. And he told me a story, uh, which was that in 1956, he was in the Air Force and stationed in Kansas someplace, captain in the Air Force. And uh, he got into a payday poker game with some people, lost. He said, okay, but i got to make it my loss, so I'll go rob a bank. So he robbed a bank through a drive-through and yeah. got caught two blocks away. Which is always tough to shin the gun through the, uh, <laughs> really the thing. Yes, I have a weapon. Here it, it is right it, here. It's like that Woody yes. Allen movie, I have yeah. a gub. You have a yeah. gub. Yeah. <laughs> What's a gub? It's a soap melted his weapon. The water melted. I like so. where this is going, though. Del Dunmire always adds to it. Oh, yes, yes. Dunmire was one yeah. of the most interesting people I remember. What a character. So, uh, as a consequence, uh, Dell wrote a check for $250,000 and we were able to finish. We had the wall up, we didn't have the park built. Well, this is at 43rd and in, in Broadway. In, in Broadway. Yeah. For everybody, it's right where the plaza meets Westport. Right. Exactly. Where, where the old railroad bridge that used to exactly. stop all the trucks yep. used to be. Yep. And so, uh, Dell, Dell and I became pretty close. and. Uh, uh, he was an amazing guy. I was with him one time at the air. I just happened to run into him at the airport. And uh, there were some Shriners there. And I was talking to Dell, and, and I noticed he had 10 people around him, and they all had money belts on them. I said, who are these people, Dell, and what, what are the money belts for? So we're going to Vegas. I gave him all $10,000. They're key employees of mine. And he said, I told him, if you win, I get half the winnings. If you lose, the house gets it. Don't worry about it. And I said, really? He goes, yeah. And so he looked across the, 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 and he saw some Shriners. And he said, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, we're trying to raise some money to, to buy a new airplane for St. Jude's. And he said, well, how much is it? And they said, well, it's 500000 because of the equipment it takes. And he said, well, how much have you raised? And they said, 250 but it's a matching grant. And Dell called a CFO and said, give me my checkbook. I wrote him a check for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah. And so I was I was actually in Dell's wedding, and uh, uh, this is good. Oh yeah, the, the, he brought in Evil Knievel, who uh, came in town at three o'clock in the morning on his bus. Uh, told the bus driver to pull over because he saw a prostitute standing at thirty third and Main Street. Well, it was an undercover cop, so he threw Evil in jail. And, he, and so Dunmeyer called uh, uh, Dick Berkeley at 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. So he got to bail Evil Knievel out of jail. And Dick goes, oh my God. So he bails him out of jail. And so <laughs> next day, Evil sends uh, Stanley Berkeley 12 dozen roses. Mm -hmm. And so it, that's the prelude to uh, Del getting married. And he had uh, Frankie Avalon. He had Evil. Evil was so drunk when he, what Evil was supposed to do was run up a go up a, a platform, a little run runway that goes up. And there's about a ten foot jump, and he lands on the other one and comes back down the stage. This right? is at the wedding. At the, at the old, yeah, at the, the reception. reception. Okay. At the old Alameda Plaza mm -hmm. Hotel. All right. Okay. So Evil so drunk he gets up and he, as he's airborne. <laughs> He turns his motorcycle sideways, misses the second ramp, he goes sliding across the stage. Oh my! And, but Frankie Avalon sang, and, they, and it was it was it was a one point two million dollar reception. And uh, you would go to a food station; and it would be Alaska, and there would be Eskimos there cooking uh, salmon. 
you'd go to Hawaii and there'd be having a Hawaiian luau with a pig. Wow. Ro roasted pig. Holy cow. It was, it was a you know, holy pig. <laughs> so it was an incredible reception. Well, Loy had mentioned that you had a relationship somehow with Evil Knievel. That's quite a story to go with. It. I think you well, ran, didn't you run into I, him I, again later? I ran to Evil Knievel. Uh, I ran to him in Baton Rouge about seven or eight years later. And somebody said, hey, Evil Knievel's at this bar that I used to go to after, I, I, after work with a couple of guys, my clients. And I said, Evil Knievel's there? He said, yeah. I said, what's he doing there? He said, well, he, he no longer does his daredevil stuff. So he, he had found a gal who was 22 years old who had won the SEC golf championship for females and the two of them are, are traveling the country hustling golf games and so I walked up to the bar and I look, I walked up to him and I said evil you probably don't remember me he says wait a minute you're the Vietnam veteran from Kansas City I said you remember that he goes yeah he wow. said, you, you got that $250,000 check at the wedding I said that's incredible and so he started talking about golf. And we were sitting there, he says, by the way, tell Zach, Ray Zakovich, who was Dell's bodyguard, I said hi. And tell uh, Dell, I said, to go to hell. I said, why? He said, well, he, he'd give me some money to go to the uh, Paris Air Show where Dell was selling his airplane parts. He said, treat me like a monkey. He, he will go do this, he will go do that. He said, I don't like Dell, but I love Zach. I said, okay, Zach was, a <laughs> Zach was a former Secret Service guy who guarded the president. Wow. And Zach's a great guy. <laughs> He's still around last time I, I, I saw him a few years ago. But anyway, so I, I, I started talking to Evil, and I said, so did you ever play golf in Kansas City? And he sat there at that bar, and he mentally built a course of the, his favorite 18 holes in Kansas City Golf Course. Really? And so he's like, number 17, you gotta go to Lock Lloyd. Number 16, you gotta, it was. Can you imagine that? No. I got, can't remember a course I just play. Of course, then yeah. I usually got a few beers. In yeah, there. I mean, but but he, uh, he literally remembered every course and every hole. He had an incredible memory. He'd had, I forgot how many surgeries it was, had broken virtually every bone in his body. But his memory was absolutely astounding, and so uh, how was his golf game? He was a, he was a six, and she was scratch. He, so he, he would hustle him with this young girl. And, yeah. Oh, you know, she's yeah. just a she girl. can be on my team, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. She's doing the Titanic Thompson thing, just running around hustling everybody. Well, I said, I said, you know, if you ever want to play Lock Lloyd, I belong there. I said, let me know. So he called me, and he one time said, I'll be up there next Thursday. And at the time, I was playing with a guy, and the third guy in the, in the group was Nick Lowry, who was going to play with us. Sure. So Nick was late like he always was, and so I went to a, a pro shop, and the other guy, the fork guy that was there, I said, we're going to take off. I said, but I'm waiting for a evil Knievel Nick Lowry. And the guy said, so you want to play a five so with Bugs Bunny, too? <laughs> I, said, I said, no, seriously, they're supposed to show up. And, he, and Nick did, I knew Evil did, I don't know where he went, but it was... I, evil I, I uh, evil ghosted you on that yeah, one? Yeah, he, he did, I don't know, he found some, some better deal someplace. Uh, probably stopped in 33rd Street. Yeah, uh, back there looking again, yeah. Wow. I saw a video one time you mentioned that you spent the night with homeless in San Diego. Yeah, it, 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 it all came out of Vietnam. Uh, in, in 1992, Bush 41 appointed me to 
a committee on the readjustment of war veterans in D.C., National mm -hmm. Committee. And uh, we were to study the problems that veterans have when they come back from combat or from sexual trauma for a lot of women. Uh, and so I went to my first meeting in the spring of 1992 and I uh, looked at, was looking at the CVs of all the other 15 committee members. I saw one of the guys was a Navy Riverine in Vietnam. I thought, boy, there weren't many of them. So I called him, I said, you want to meet me for a beer? And I, I see you're a Riverine. So we meet at the Marriott where we're staying and, and uh, his uh, name is Robert Van Curen. I said, so you were Riverine? He said, yeah. I said, were you ever at the Special Forces base called Treku on the Cambodian border? He said, well, that's where I was. And I said, when wow. were you there? He said, 6970. I said, are you serious? I said, and so he and I talked, and we'd been in firefights probably 15 times together. Oh so we bonded immediately. And I said, how'd you wind up in this committee? He said, well, after Vietnam, I was a CPA. I came back, I had PTSD. I lost my job, I lost my license, I lost my family. And he said I was a drunk and a drug addict and I was eating out of garbage cans. And the Vietnam veterans of San Diego picked me up and took me in and got me sober and got me clean. I thought I gotta help out other veterans. So I started this program called Stand Down. And Stand Down is a military term for a day of respite when you're in combat. You come back, you get new, uh, you get food for the week, you know, you're out for a week in the ambush. You get you know, a, a fresh set of clothing and you get your mail and then you go back out again. So I said, uh, stand down sounds pretty interesting. He says, yeah, I said, I've been doing this since 88. And I said, I'd kind of like to see what you're doing. And so I went out to uh, San Diego in, this, in June of 1992 and spent three nights in a uh, tent with the homeless veterans going through stand down, went through their experience. And I said, I'd like to do that in Kansas City. Uh, I have no idea what the need is, but we could find out mm -hmm. and do one. So I called my friend Bob Wechter, who had worked with me on, um, uh, on the wall, Memorial, and I said, uh, Bob, you want to try this thing called Stand Down? Well, Bob was the team leader of the Vet Center here, which counsels people with PTSD. So he said, sure. So we put together a committee and we got together a place to do it at Truman and Truce at the old uh, Manual Technical High School and uh, did our first one and we had like 160 vets come up. So wow. we said, well, because I, so, I, I put together a separate, a new 501c3 foundation for it. So I said, okay, well, let's do this for five years and see where it goes. Well, now we're 26 years later. Mm -hmm. We're still doing it because uh, there's still need out there. And we do it twice a year, and it's a huge event. It's, uh, and how does the public help you out with this? We have volunteers that are unbelievable because we have an all-volunteer committee yeah. of staff. And so uh, at its peak a few years ago, we would have 700 participants and six to 700 volunteers. I mean, it's a huge volunteer effort. And what we find is that the volunteers get as much from it as the vets do. Because mm -hmm. such oh, yeah. a, I mean, to help somebody uh, and to see a, you know, it, it's a very short period of time. We call ourselves a hand up, not a handout, because we really want to help people. We have all kinds of service providers, 60 or 70, give them clothing, haircuts, a new identity. Uh, we have uh, medical care. We had we had legal at the time, and so uh, you know there there were some amazing stories. I'll just tell you one very quick story. One of our regular attendees was a, a guy. You could, he was ageless because he probably looked like he was 50 when he was 20. The way his, his life had gone. Vietnam vet. They all have street names. His name was Pappy, 
and Pappy came in, and Pappy's defense mechanism is like the quills. Uh, 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 he would, um, uh, on a porcupine, he, uh, he would make himself so smelly that nobody would get near him. Mm -hmm. So he never cleaned himself after he defecated, after he urinated. Mm -hmm. And so nobody wanted to get near Pappy's stuff in his camp because okay. he stunk so badly. Yeah, sure. So Pappy came in one, one uh, stand down. I said, Pappy, you've done, <laughs> I've done yourself this time. I said, we're gonna have to hose you down even to get close to you. So I, we hosed him down. I said, hey, do me a favor. I said, first of all, take the two flasks out of your legs, pants, because I can see them. I said, we had five rules to stand down. Uh, no drugs, no alcohol, no stealing, no fighting, no exceptions. You live by those rules, you can stay here. You have amnesty. You don't, you're gone. And I said, so why don't you just try staying sober for three days? He said, ah, I'm not going to do that. And what he would do is to go down into a stance like a crab and on one leg with one leg extended, if you tried to get near him, he'd kick you in the kneecap. And I, I, I've seen him break other vets' kneecaps doing that. And so I said, Pappy, I said, throw the booze away and don't kick anybody. And I said, just, just spend three days here. Try to enjoy it. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the music. We had live music all the time. I think we had Dick Wilson on, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so, and, uh, so, uh, so Pappy did it. You know, it was like watching a baby crawl and walk and then run. And by the third day, he was almost unrecognizable. He had a nice civilian clothes on, a haircut. He'd shaved his beard. He smelled fine. He was talking. He was sober. Wow. Holy cow. And, and about, about four months later, I was downtown. I was off the city center square. And I walked out, and uh, I heard a truck horn. I looked down the street, and a guy in an F-150 was calling me. He said, Art, come here. I looked over, I looked at the cab, I said, Pappy? He said, I'm not Pappy anymore, I'm Mike. I got my electrical contracting business back. I said, seriously? And he became one of our best volunteers. He was our electri electrician at Standout Everett. That is a great yeah. story. Yeah. Wow. So it, it was, it's, it's things like that that keep us coming back. Yeah, year. exactly. It's, we do it twice a year. It's a lot of work. But now, it's, has it's the work. identification of this condition as PTSD been helpful? I mean, that kind of, I mean, it used to be shell shock and yeah, all I mean, other it, things. It, it and was, it was when was it when that became 1978. PTSD? 1978. The VA uh, uh, recognized uh, in 1978 PTSD as a result of combat. Okay. and therefore now it allowed people with it to get treatment and also compensation. Okay. So um, uh, that's what the vet centers are for, the VA also treats it. The vet centers treat it with a social worker model uh, where they bring in the family and make a group and, and so it's, uh, you know, I mean we've seen it with Jason Cantor just recently and uh, the effect that it has. Uh, it's real. I can tell. I mean, I can tell you that from the person well, sure. sitting in this chair. I don't yeah, think it. Sure. I, I'd be surprised if anyone denies it. And it, at it's this it's point. not about just about combat. It's about Columbine. It's about you know a woman being assaulted. Mm -hmm. It's it's the stress that results from having trauma, and that's why now they get counselors in to see people immediately after a mm -hmm. traumatic event, because if you don't talk about it, if you internalize it. It's going to mess with your mind, and uh, so they get now. Now people are professionally trained to try to get people to talk about it and get through it. Well, you know, we, we still have 
22 suicides a day, roughly, from in the veteran and uh, active duty population uh, due to the mental condition that comes from being in combat. A video that I once again saw you do priorly, I, I thought that maybe you would uh, remember this part of it. I thought it was interesting. I, I think you went back over to Vietnam and uh, people thought, have thought, uh, we lost the war in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And the person over there described to you why maybe we shouldn't feel that way. Yeah, I went back there uh, for Heart to Heart International. Yeah. It was a great group. And uh, uh, the actually the way I got, got acquainted with them was, was pretty miraculous. I had a, I have a friend named Howie Flasher who's a great connector. He was always telling me, you got to meet Dr. Gary Morsch, uh, Heart to Heart International. I said, why? He said, well, he wants to take a medical trip back to Vietnam. I said, tell him to meet somebody else. <laughs> I, said, I said, that and my divorce were two of my favorite years of my life. So, so, uh, so I had, a t at that time, a law partner who was doing international adoption. So he, he was in Hanoi doing uh, Vietnamese kids, adopting uh, Vietnamese kids. And he went to, he was Catholic. He went to the only Catholic church in Hanoi on a Sunday morning and was standing there, and there's a woman kneeling in front of him. And he kept looking down at her, he said, aren't you Mother Teresa? And it was. And she, I don't, don't know what she was doing in Hanoi. Wow. But they started talking, and, and he, she asked where he was from. He said, well, I'm from a place you've never heard of before. It's called Kansas. And she said, oh, do you know, do you know, do you know Dr. Gary Morris from Heart International? Oh, okay. And so he said, no, but I have a friend named Mark Fillmore who has talked about him. And she said, you tell Mr. Fillmore he needs to meet with Dr. Morsch. And so I did, because Mother Teresa told me. You know. <laughs> oh, well, that's good enough. Yeah. Do you have another recommendation? <laughs> and so I, I went back over there, and five times in 94 and 95, and, and uh, there, it was just amazingly cathartic for me. Uh, my first trip over, they took me back to Coochie, which was the I was there with uh, a lot with Black and Beach, which was established a, a, a foothold in Vietnam to do business. And uh, uh, first time over there, they took me back to Coochie, which is the home base of the 25th Division. And I was seeing all these areas where I was in combat going, this is just really uncomfortable. And so they took me to a clinic uh, where they were treating people and they gave me a, a heart to heart, they gave me a bag of stuff, I didn't know what was in there really. And so the two doctors, the doctors in, in Vietnam are required to take a year of English. So the doctor spoke enough English to, because the Vietnamese that I had would have gotten me thrown out of the country because I learned all the bad expressions. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. You say when you want somebody uh, yeah. <laughs> go away quickly, come here quickly, or do other things. So anyway, so I uh, was talking to the doctors. They took me in a room and there's a little boy with a distended stomach. And I said, what's wrong with him? And they said, well, he's got this uh, infection and and all we have is these French herbal stuff from the 50s and 60s. And I said, really, what's going to happen? And he kind of looked at me and said, well, he's, you're not going to make it. I said, well, i got a bag full of stuff here. Why don't you look and see if i got some? So they looked in, they pulled out this antibiotic, and they said, this is what he needs to live. He said, and they looked at the father, and, they, and his, the kid's father, and said, your son's going to live. And all of us were in tears. And so for me, Vietnam had been a place from going from killing to healing wow. that, that very moment. Yeah. Uh, but I became, I was dealing a lot with the, uh, with the uh, 
ministers of uh, various agencies or departments over there. And it turned out that the, uh, the department, the Minister of Agriculture, which is their second ranking uh, department behind defense, was the head of the North Vietnamese unit that I directly attacked in the invasion of Cambodia in 1970. I was in the lead helicopter. And uh, he and I had talked kind of through things. And if I, we're out on a, on a boat one night, on, he had a houseboat taking me out for dinner, which is the ultimate sign of respect from the Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. And we knew we had fought on opposite sides of the war, but we didn't realize we'd fought directly against each other. And so we, we, we narrowed the, the, the conversation down. And he looked at me and he said, that was you on, on that day in this certain area? I said, yes. He, and he was very quiet. I think I'm in a houseboat in this lake. <laughs> He's going to get even with me. <laughs> another Natalie Wood thing going yeah. on and here. Yeah. My odds aren't real good on this with all the crew and everything else. Yeah. He said, and he laughed. He said, I'm get, I guess I'm lucky you, you were a lousy shot. And I said, I was the one getting off the helicopter. I'm lucky you were a lousy shot. So we became very good friends. And so we started talking as we'd meet periodically about the war. He said, you know, you Americans are way too hard on yourself. And he said, uh, you, you think that you lost the war and you always talk about the loss of war. He said, we're very proud of our military effort to defeat somebody who was had the, the military air, air power, in particular, that you had. Uh, he said, but you're too hard on yourself. He said, did you want to stop communism? I said, yeah. He said, well, no country's turned communist since you were here. Did you want to get a foothold in the economy here? I said, well, yeah. He said, we're, we're begging you to come out and teach us capitalism. And he, and he, gave, he gave me all these reasons, and, and, and he made me feel better for the first time that there was justification for what we we're doing over there. And it was so odd that your enemy would teach you about exactly uh, yeah. that. Uh, you know, not just your enemy, but a guy you literally were trying to kill one day. Yes. Mm -hmm. He was trying to kill you who taught me the value of uh, my, own, uh, my own efforts. That's phenomenal. Yeah. That is a great story. That's a phenomenal story, yeah. I, I, I love that story. It started story. with Mother Teresa, too. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> Evil <Yeah>. Knievel, <laughs> Mother Teresa. Now, Art, there's an elephant in the room that we haven't approached here yet. Your last name is Fillmore, the same as the 13th President of the United States. Has that got you anything in life? Uh, yeah, that and five bucks will get you a Starbucks, as they say. There, there has been a family tree done that my sister did, and, and Miller Fillmore uh, was the, my great-great-great-grandfather, something like that. Okay. And um, great, I've had many greats there were, but, he, but the family tree, because there aren't that many. I've, I've talked to the Fillmore family out at Unity, and we're somehow related, because there aren't that many, really that many mm -hmm. Fillmores around. But uh, yeah, it, it's never, it really didn't interest me until uh, I went to a meeting one time in Princeton uh, with a guy and everybody said, hey, he's going to love the fact your name's Fillmore and you're the Senator of President. And I said, well, God, I don't know anything about him. So I, I like crammed for finals. I read, I, I read stacks of papers and stories about Millard Fillmore. I knew how he became because his predecessor died of eating bad berries and, you know, he, Millard, his vice president, was never invited into the White House, you know. And so, uh, so I was I was loaded for bear when I went to this lunch. Okay. So we're sitting there. This guy didn't say anything. I finally said, "Well," uh, I said, "Shall we 
fill more glasses with, with beer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was because in the, in the Army, when that story became known from some lieutenant uh, trainer found out, my nickname was Mallard. Uh, from Millard, and, they go, and so everybody would go quack, quack, quack. I said, you know, oh, insults yeah. roll off him like water off the duck's back. <laughs> and so that's about the only two connections I've ever had in my okay. life. Okay. He was a wig, wasn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. he was, and he ran, ran and got. We need some good wigs these days. <laughs> <laughs> we need something. <laughs> that whole world of uh, the uh, veteran advocate. That's that's just a little bit of the Art Fillmore story. I want to hear about Art Fillmore, the entrepreneur. There have oh, been some interesting uh, things around town, and yeah, I've I've I love. I mean, I've represented a lot of entrepreneurs. And I've been an entrepreneur. Um, I was one of the founders of the Guitars and Cadillacs nightclub chain. Wow! Uh, was I did of, not know that. Yeah, yeah. We we wound up having ten of them. Is that uh, right? Yeah, I was one of the founders of London's, the nightclub in Westport. Remember that? Uh, and did uh, you deal with that guy from the band, uh, Brian Seltzer? Brian Seltzer, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you deal with Brian at all? He, he came by. Yeah, he yeah. came by there, okay. and uh, it was actually uh, uh, the name of a rock and roll song. Guitars Calyx was. Okay. And so we had. So uh, Jack Hanrahan, the banker. Yeah, Jack Hanrahan was my McQuitty, partner. Mitch, Mitch in that Dave McQuitty, Mitch Kearns, Mitch and then Kearns. we did Londons, and uh, 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 so I did that. Then I built, owned, and operated the uh, Plaza Athletic Club, and that was what I would call the most expensive free lifetime membership ever. <laughs> is that right? And I remember that I was a member. Art. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was great service. It was just. Uh, uh, it was too small. That was a difficult space. It was well in the alley. It was. Uh, uh, we got free rent for like five years from J.C. Nichols. Miller Nichols became very involved in it because Did he, he? loved the concept. That was really built in the back of the old Plaza Theater. It was a completely blank space mm-hmm. behind the behind. The, originally, the Plaza Theater was a theater, not not a movie theater. And so there was a stage, and behind the stage there was nothing but this big pit. Wow. So we built it back there out of that. And uh, uh, the problem, there were two problems. We didn't have childcare, and uh, uh, and then women didn't want to be on the plaza and walk out and sweat right. without makeup on. I mean, it was so we had these big dead periods from nine o'clock to eleven thirty, and then from one thirty to four. Uh, so. It uh, it's it suffered a slow and fatal and expensive death. But, <laughs> but you now you fought that battle for several years. Oh though. yeah, yeah. No, it was a very expensive lesson. But I, it was you know I, like I said, I liked it. I, I uh, was with a group. Uh, we were trying to build a uh, medical center uh, in Abu Dhabi. I worked on that for a while, and uh, we were trying to buy hospitals in the south. Uh, it was kind of funny. We were trying to buy one chain from. Uh, a guy um, uh, who the hospital was owned by a doctor. So we're having dinner with a doctor. I drop my napkin like I do about 10 times every time I eat. I look down there and I said, oh, uh, do you have surgery? He says, uh, no. I said, oh, I, I said, I just saw that thing on your ankle. Well, it turned out it was one of those ankle ankles braces. you get because you're under house arrest. Oh, there you go, yes. Uh, <laughs> and I said, do you mind if I ask why you're wearing that ankle bracelet? He said, uh, well, he said, 
it hadn't been proven yet. I said, well, well, just tell me the allegation. He said, Medicare fraud. I said, well, that's a problem for a hospital. Wow. <laughs> and so the next day, I was, we were visiting a hospital. I was talking to the gal that did his books. And I said, so tell me how your system works. She said, sure, we'll do a surgical procedure. Surgeon will give me a, a grade of, or a rating on what it was that happened. I'll give it to the doctor. He'll upcharge it. And then I'll submit the bill. I said, do you realize that you personally are committing fraud every time you do that? And so we decided not to buy those hospitals. <laughs> but uh, oh. we So as an attorney, would you advise people just as a general advice to not enter contracts with people who are wearing I, that, bracelets? I, that, that's why I advise, I advise my partners and, and clients on that one very much. So yeah, <laughs> not a great idea. Watch for the beeping light in their socks. <laughs> <laughs> It, uh, they may not particularly respect the, uh, their word. <laughs> wow. So as an attorney who's represented a lot of entrepreneurs, you've had a really interesting career, and now you are associated with a firm called Aegis, Aegis, Aegis Law. Aegis? Yeah, yeah, right. I, I guess the, you guys call it Aegis. Aegis right? or Aegis, whichever you wish. <laughs> and everybody in there calls them both. So Do they? Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I opened a... a I can't say uh, region for them about four years ago, specialized mergers and acquisitions. We have our own venture capital firm. We deal with entrepreneurs, we deal with venture capital, uh, with, with young companies, and I just love doing it. I, I, a lot I, of fun. I, I'm a deal junkie, you know? And so uh, I love working on deals of all kinds. And, and you were in kind of a hip hop office place in yeah. the crossroads, and now, you've, now big, you're in this really cool. I was, I was cool. the Think Big Partners building over in the crossroads. And, I moved over here about uh, 14, 15 months ago, and I love it. Uh, the stock, the, this whole stockyard uh, district has become something. If uh, you haven't right. seen or been in the old livestock exchange building, it is such a great uh, atmosphere. Oh yeah. When you say, yeah. Dick, I mean, it's well, when really you walk in, you see the cracks in the tile floor that have uh, been there for hundreds of years, you know, and. The old benches sitting out in the uh, open areas yeah. and things like that. It's really, really you know, quite it was really interesting about this building is that when it was built, they only put in men's restrooms because there's no reason to have oh, a women's yeah, restroom because sure. women didn't right didn't come in. So they've had to convert the restroom on every other floor to yeah. uh, women's. So mm -hmm. I like I have no men's restroom on my floor, so I have to. Go down you got to either wear a dress out in the lobby or go downstairs a floor. Yeah, I've tried the dress thing. That didn't work. Didn't work out? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. you ever get desperate, just bang on the door and say, maintenance? <laughs> it's a great building. It's a great district. and uh, So cool. And you've got some fun places around here now to go to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That Gold Ox has reopened. Yeah. And uh, the guy that owns is Bill Haw. Uh, is building 250 apartments right next door in the parking lot of the Ox, and uh, it's going to be a booming place. How's the the high V uh, place working down the street here? The you old know, Kimber. it's funny. I haven't been in there. I'm uh -huh. told it's absolute booming. Okay, uh, good. They, they get uh, they've got soccer and they've got uh, all kinds of enterprises. Yeah. And families are there all the time, so it's a, it's been a great repurposing. So I love the office. You're down here with Philip Cross. Uh, yeah. Who's another. <laughs> Attorney, a great guy, and uh, Matthew Leisman. Yep. Matthew just moved in this last past week, and so uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy their company and uh, enjoy. A lot of fun. I'm having more fun practicing law than I have ever before, and so they don't see the end in sight, and uh, 
uh, just I'm having a, in a good place in my life. Well, is there anything you can tell us about that you're involved in right now, or is it? Oh, all? right now I'm working with a guy named Mark Valentine. You may have run who puts a lot of events on every place and is in the music space too. Mark's a musician, has his own man. We're building a uh, a new venue, entertainment venue. Really? Uh, called the Headliner, and we're looking at a couple locations, one in Zona Rosa where the old theater was, and one out at 435 in View High Drive. Uh, to, so we're going back to, we were originally going to do something like guitars, and then we said let's include all genres of music, we'll include comedy, uh, we'll include anything that entertains people, and that's why we call it, we're calling it the Headliner. So. I'm off again. I'm half wow, <laughs> cool. that's a big undertaking. Well, let's get evil. Is evil still alive? <laughs> no, he died. Oh, okay. Well, no. he's out of it. Mother <laughs> Teresa's now. Okay. Actually, I think she's a. Dallas gone. Saint she, Teresa now. Yeah, that's she right. She, she's she been is. elevated. Speaking well, of saint, one more quick thing. Saint Michael's Veterans Center. What is that? It was. Uh, uh, it's an amazing project. Uh, about eight years ago, I was approached by the then CEO of uh, Catholic Charities, Mike Halterman, and by Cliff Cohn, who's the chairman of Yarko uh, mm -hmm. Development. And uh, they said, uh, we would like to build some permanent housing apartments for homeless veterans. And uh, we understand you're the guy we ought to be talking to. So that became the, the, the cornerstone of a great, a great partnership. And so we wound up getting a low-income housing tax credits, very, very complicated structure. But basically, we have now built uh, two phases of St. Michael's. It's located uh, at Leeds and Cleaver, so it's right on the west side of Harvesters. It's a half a mile from the VA, which is perfect, because okay. the VA yeah, has a van sure. that comes down. So we now have about uh, 150 residents. Uh, have cool. apartments. We're going to get a phase three. Uh, Governor Greitens got rid of low-income housing tax credits. So what we did is we syndicated them, U.S. Bank bought them, and then we built the, the, the apartments with cash. We have no debt on the property. And, and it is absolutely transformational. It is amazing to see what it does to a human being when they have the same bed and the same roof over their house every day. They know that they can stay there the rest of their lives. It is permanent housing, mm -hmm. it's not transitional wow. housing. And we've had you know, what we call graduates, the ones who've gotten jobs and bought their own homes and made room for another, another veteran. We have uh, plans to do a phase three, Governor Parson came out, and Dr. Ben Carson uh, is the Secretary of HUD now. Mm -hmm. uh, he came out um, about two months ago and said it was the best project he'd ever seen. Secretary of the VA has said that we had the uh, command sergeant major who works for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff come out. He has said that. Claire McCaskill has said that. In fact, Claire came out there one time and uh, she got out of her car and we were building phase two at the time. And there was a construction worker there and she walked up to him and said, You really seem to be enjoying yourself. He said, oh, I love this job. She said, Well, I, do, you, do you like carpentry that much? How long have you been doing it? He said, Well, not that long. She said, Well, what do you love about it? He says, well, I live right there. And he pointed to phase one. And so we had trained some of our residents to become carpenters, and they were building phase two for their, for their fellow veterans. Wow. And so now they're all one big community. And we, we provide social services to them. We have two social workers and uh, other service providers. We have service building. They hold AA meetings there. They hold all kinds of community meetings. And uh, it's... 
it's truly one of a kind in the country. I think we may be in the presence of Saint Art yeah. here. Well, you know what? He has done <laughs> so you, much. That, there are a lot of people who disagree with that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, he's, you know, Art has so many friends and and has done so many good things for folks and and it's just such a pleasure to to hear about some of this art. And he's a lot of fun too. Seems to be. He is. Yes, he, he seems to be. Well, sure. I appreciate you two taking the time to come down here. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah, great stories, great life, great tale. You and know. again, your uh, your firm now is is uh, Aegis, A E G I S, and you're in the uh, Livestock Exchange Building, right? And and your firm is handling a lot of uh, mergers and acquisitions, yeah. and you're out there working with uh, businesses, I guess, is yeah, your Yeah, I've got uh, businesses all over the country, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've got some in New England, some in Florida, some in California. And so I, uh, there are no geographic uh, limitations. I'm doing some international as well, so uh, it's been a great move for me. They're great people, and, uh, and I'm just very, very, very pleased, married to a wonderful woman. and. Uh, Hey, things I, are going your way. I've had some experience in that category. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Art Fillmore, for chatting with Loy and myself today. And we look forward to introducing you to more great Kansas City personalities coming up. You might love it. You might hate it. It's my favorite freaking show. Yeah.